from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reepstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Dave Reepstein, and I'm joining you here on SiriusXM Channel 111, which I do every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week. I'm also joined in the studio today once again with Sunil Betty. Sunil, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Dave. Excited to be here as usual. So Sunil is a doctoral student extraordinaire and working very closely with me and adds a lot to the show and, and appreciate you being here. You know, I just got in from Boston. Yeah, you were there for a conference, I believe. I was there for a conference. I ran out to Cape Cod for what I thought was going to be a gorgeous weekend, which I say I thought was going to be a gorgeous what weekend. What happened? It was a freezing weekend. And while I was there, I ended up coming back on Sunday because I had meetings uh, this morning. But I was driving back on Sunday in what was rain that turned to sleet and then into a blinding snowstorm. Wow. Who wants to go to Cape Cod in for April a, in <sighs> April for a blinding snowstorm? Disappointing. And then I, I got into the city. I stayed down at the South End, which was really, really nice, right beautiful, next to the Boston area. Tea Party. Oh, beautiful area. That, that, it's a really, really nice area. But my hotel was filled. In fact, it was really hard to get a hotel. My hotel was filled. Why? I think the Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon, exactly it's right. today, I believe. It, 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 uh, it is today, if you're a runner like me. It was today, if, if you're uh, really competing in it. It was the fifth anniversary of the uh, the bombing yes. that happened. I guess you had. I fixed happened it. to be there. I was in. I was very close to where where it went off. I was working in a building. Uh, well, fortunately, you were inside the building. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, but a very very tragic, tragic and memorable moment. But oh my gosh, all the runners that were in my elevator this morning and in the hotel were like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to do this marathon because it's." Horrible weather. It, oh, was, it was torrential cold. downpour, cold. This morning it was 33 degrees, raining really, really hard, and winds that were like 40 to 50, gusts of 55 miles per hour. It's tough conditions and, and so imagine, first of all, they, and it was a headwind. It was wind coming from the east, and they're oh. running from west to east. Right, right. So imagine the difficulty of running against the wind with soaking wet and cold, and your feet are going to get blisters. And they're going to get waterlogged, for um, sure. And, I mean, you've got that to deal with, what you depend on when you run a race. So I've run three marathons. I've never done it. So Tell me. It, well, run, by the way, defined as Loose, started and finished on the, same, on the same day. Got it. Okay. But you depend on the crowd to pull you through. Well, what kind of crowd's going to stand mm. in this horrible, horrible weather? It's not going to be a large crowd. I saw lots of umbrellas, but few of them correct. Most of them were inverted because of the wind. <laughs> of the it wind. was just it just oh, totally, man. totally brutal. So interestingly, when I heard what the weather forecast was, I said, finally, a Boston Marathon without a Kenyan winning. There you go. Because they're not used to running <laughs> yeah, in these yeah. kinds of conditions. So who won the women's? I, I don't know. I actually haven't so, looked. So the winner of the women's was a woman by the name of Dissery Linden. Okay. An American from? Fantastic. Michigan. Wow. Trains in this kind of weather, they Makes call sense. this springtime. Makes is sense. What, is what it is that they call it. First time a U.S. American has won in 33 years. 33, 33 years. years. And then who won the men's? It was a, a Japanese. Oh, really? 
And it was the first time that a Japanese had won, uh, a male Japanese had won in 31 years. Wow. So a total change because of what they, it, what they were calling the worst conditions for running the Boston Marathon in the 121 years wow. of the marathon. Well, congratulations to everybody who finished it, um, in particular those two winners. For those who entered it, congratulations for started to them. it, yeah. And, and, and it, it's just absolutely American, uh, amazing. We could spend a lot of time talking about it, um, but we have an interesting show to get to. So we have I, a very interesting show. Yeah, we've got two fabulous guests that are going to be joining us. The first one is Anthony Larisi, who is here. He is the founder of Industria Creative. And so he's going to be in the first half of the program. In the second half of the program, we have Katie O'Reilly, who is the chief marketing officer of the NBA 76ers. The Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. And they're right in, in the playoffs right now. So it'll be interesting to hear how you go about marketing a basketball team. Yeah, very different. And my guess is that Anthony has a lot to say about that. So we'll see what it is that we have. I'm going to uh, remind our audience, you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And you can give us a call at any time during the program and talk to any, either either of our guests or to Sunil and I with any questions that you have. You can call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow us on Twitter at BizRadio111. So let's get started with Anthony. Anthony, welcome. Glad to have you on the program. Dave, it's great to be here. Thank you. I'm delighted you could be on the program. I'm surprised you're not running the marathon today. <laughs> if you knew me better, you wouldn't be surprised, Dave. <laughs> uh, I admire it from afar, from a distance. I think that's the best way to admire this one. It was pretty yes, incredible. Indeed. Yes, indeed. And uh, as you were describing that, and as an event guy, as an experiential guy, my worst nightmare is that rain contingency plan. So as you were describing the conditions and the rain and the downpour, all I can imagine is, is the event organizers and, and my empathy and sympathy going out to them for, uh, for working through those conditions. Well, events is what it is that you market, so I want to hear some of that from you. But first, why don't you share with the audience what some of your backgrounds, who we know exactly who it is we're talking to here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Be happy to. I started off in uh, in this in this marketing world on the on the general agency side. So I did a few years at Ogilvy and Mather, and a few years more at FCB, and uh, had my fill of, uh, of of big corporate American agencies, and then went out on my own as a consultant for a number of years. And you know, Dave, I've always had this this entrepreneurial buzz inside of me. So uh, just seven years ago, uh, I founded Industria Creative. So we are a full-service experiential marketing agency. Uh, we're based in New York, uh, have an office in L.A., but uh, our events um, uh, range in, in cities far and wide. So you, you just threw something at me there. You said a full-service experiential marketing agency. So yeah. what's that mean? What's the, exper <laughs> the marketing mean? agency I part I got day. down? What's the, what's the experiential? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, the interesting thing for me is what makes uh, this discipline of experiential uh, different from what my peers in other marketing disciplines do, and that's general advertising, where I came from. Uh, it could be CRM, social media, influencer uh, uh, marketing. Uh, it's really the one discipline that allows for a live interaction to occur. So there's a true dialogue. There's a real exchange of information 
Uh, the cool part is our discipline of experiential really allows the consumers, when they're interacting with brands, to even carve their own experience into voice uh, in their first person, uh, what it is that they want from the brand, what they experience with the brand, what their expectations are of the brand. So this is what we do. We create live brand experiences. We work with a lot of different types of clients. And tactically speaking, it could look anything like a product launch or brand repositioning. We do lots of celebrity work with red carpet arrivals and premieres. Uh, we do temporary installations, pop-up shops, anything where there's a live component. Uh, and mostly B2C, so anytime the consumer can come out and be a part of the brand and interact with the brand and extract messaging and experiences, that's what we do. So you, you threw something out there that I need to try and better understand because usually, in, from your background at Ogilvy, you're trying to create a positioning for a product that is sort of uniform across everybody. Boy, you know exactly what it is that you're getting. And and the perception that Sunil gets is identical to the perception that I get. And that sort of is sort of the richness of what it is that we're striving for in any of our particular advertising. Mm-hmm. What you said was the experiential part is everybody carves out their own. And they're sort of taking something a little bit differently away. Am I Am I hearing that incorrectly? You are hearing correctly, and I think for us, you know, we do work with the general agencies. We work as an experiential agency off of the same initial creative brief that will have been created by a client. We work from the same brand guidelines that our client has created. But I think the interesting thing and and what is so uh, unusual, perhaps, about our discipline of experiential is that once we get down to that live experience, we are no longer a consumer sitting in front of a TV seeing the same exact produced spots that the general agency has produced for everyone. We are no longer a consumer sitting in front of their computer or their mobile device uh, with an ad that's coming up that has been messaged exactly the same way for everyone who's receiving it. We, as event folk, uh, with this discipline of experiential, have the opportunity and perhaps the challenge sometimes uh, to be able to interpret, uh, to react, uh, to act in real time uh, with consumers who are taking in information, having conversations with the brand directly, and, and sometimes that looks like uh, talent from a, from a creative property. Sometimes it looks like brand ambassadors that we've hired and trained uh, as part of a rigorous system in, in representing the brand. So our discipline is very different, and you are hearing correctly in that capacity. Because we need to be prepared uh, to carry on that brand experience in this capacity that's so very different from from really all other disciplines. So, so how much of what you do and how it's applied is for events? So, I mean, it's it's one thing when you're you know marketing Walmart or marketing you know a, a, you know a pizza. Uh, a, what is it, how is it different when we're uh, talking about, well, first of all, how much of your business is really event-oriented? Yeah, and, you know, the, the shift in the industry has been an interesting one to, to experience, even over the past eight years that industry has been in business, because in the earlier days, if you will, I'd say 80% of the business was events. They were often referred to as parties and, and just this gathering of, of individuals, and, and maybe there were some a minimal scenic element, maybe some uh, live musical performance element, and a lot of logos and a lot of branding. And I think as uh, and, and what clients, would be what would be mm-hmm. example of those? 
that could have been, you know, I'll take one example uh, of, of, a, of a premier, a series premier, and show how it might have been different back then till today. So, um, for example, a, a television show uh, with, a, with a premier of a, of a new series might have gotten uh, the uh, uh, cast of that property to walk a red carpet back in the day. Um, and then um, just coming into what really could be perceived as a party. So just a gathering of people, probably a lot of traditional media involved, uh, and consumers without very much focus, uh, without very much uh, indication that the individuals who were in attendance were really going to become our advocates and amplifiers of, of the brand. And there might have been some music involved, and really the core reason for hosting that type of an event back in the day was to get PR exposure. So in a nutshell, that is the, the beginning, middle, and end of what one activation could have looked like in, in the earlier days of, of experiential. So take that same idea, uh, uh, create a property, a TV series, and what's done today, and, and this is top of mind because we actually just wrapped up a, a campaign in Los Angeles for FX. Uh, FX Networks and, and, and Marvel Television had a series called Legion. So we were tasked with promoting the second season within our discipline of experiential. And today what that looked like was taking over a soundstage in Hollywood and really having a deep, deep dive into the meaning, the experience, the look and feel of the series, uh, what it meant, what these show creators want to impart into consumers, and how to truly capture that essence and through the lens of Legion the series, create a live experience that gets existing consumers who are watching the series from season one interested and building anticipation and excitement for season two. Those consumers who may not have been a part of uh, season one, we want to introduce the property to them and equally as much get them excited and, and be able to bring them into, into the Legion family and have them anticipate season two. And from a guest perspective, lots of other touch points. And, and these days we work uh, very closely with influencers. So we're able to identify which influencers are going to be fans of the property and be able to get us the amplification we want. Certainly traditional media is still part of it. And then through that, we have a much more elaborate scenic build. So we actually created uh, a, a video chamber, if you will, this kind of post-apocalyptic, uh, post-modern, really cool structure, 16-foot structure. And inside of that, we commissioned a digital artist, Marco Brambilla, to take the season two assets, working in his signature style, which is very much about uh, collage and kaleidoscope and, and density, knowing the series and knowing Marco Brambilla's uh, as a digital artist, his style was the perfect um, collaboration. So as consumers went into this chamber, they got to view uh, this three-minute original short film. So with that, it was really... Wait, wait, when uh, you say when, the, when people went, went into the chamber, are you talking about, are they doing that online? Or are they doing that in person? Um, yeah, all in person. All, all in person. All in person. So this is a physical activation, and we had an Eventbrite site. Uh, a lot of amplification with the Facebook page and, and through earned, owned, and, and, and otherwise media, uh, getting people to sign up and come out, walk-ins were welcome. But throughout the days of our activation, we had thousands and thousands and thousands of people come just to view this short film that we had commissioned and be a part of this bigger Legion experience. Huh. So, you know, when I think about a lot of agencies, they're creating some type of campaign that reaches a massive audience, maybe millions. 
it sounds like what you're talking about is really targeted for a smaller audience that actually goes through the experience. Mm -hmm. But then because you're, you're working with all these influencers, they help spread what that notion is. And so is that, first of all, is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is something, and you know, we do dissect what uh, the business objectives are of, of each of the campaigns, of course, before we go into production. Uh, but with a property like Legion, and we know that Legion has a huge fan base, especially in the Marvel universe, you know, the fanboys and fangirls, people who love comic books. So we think through how to tap into that audience. And uh, even though they may not technically uh, market themselves as influencers, they really do become our advocates. So as real people who are actively involved in social media, we're touching them, giving them an amazing experience, lots of, of Instagrammable moments within sure. our experience. Sure. And then we anticipate that they're going to act as, as ambassadors of ours. And, you know, a little bit more uh, controlled and, and part of uh, paid media very often is we'll work with influencers. So we work with micro-influencers and macro-influencers, and that's just a distinction based on how many followers they have. And we have, uh, and they might go out and bring these types of, of social media gurus in uh, so that we know we have a certain number of, of, of um, a certain level of amplification built into whatever activation we're producing. And certainly traditional media as well. So we'll invite um, all the entertainment magazines sure. and lifestyle entities to come and be a part of things as well. Okay, L let me remind our audience, you're listening to Measure Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And we're currently speaking with Anthony Laracy, who's the founder of Industria Creative. And, um, you know, I'm really trying to, to think about uh, a hard question for you, which is okay. you, you do this. How do you know that it's having an impact for the legend, for example? How do, how do yeah, you try absolutely. and measure? Because it sounds like a considerable amount of effort. And I'm trying to think about how you try and capture whether or not it's really, you know, worth the effort, worth the expense that uh, FX uh, had to uh, put up on this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the first thing we do think about. And I think one of the elements, whenever we're talking to an existing client, a new client, having a firm understanding of what it is that the expectations are of the campaign that we are being considered for producing. And I think... For me, especially having worked in this industry for a number of years, what I find as one of the greatest benefits is thinking through the branded experience, this thing we call experiential. And what we do is borrow, you know, I believe the best practices from our peers in the other marketing disciplines. And we're able to attribute those uh, metrics to experiential. And I think some are a little more obvious and hard hitting and others are a little bit less tangible, but we certainly look uh, at impressions. We look at paid, earned, and owned uh, media impressions. So we have uh, an exact number of how many people that we are impacting, getting a message in front of. Um, and, you know, the Legion examples is one uh, type of an activation. We work a lot um, also with packaged goods companies. We work a lot in fragrance and fashion and beauty. So we may have different types of objectives for them. If we're working to launch uh, a new cosmetic, for example, for L'Oreal, and we want to do some real basic sampling. We have an opportunity to create a relationship with the accounts, those locations where the L'Oreal makeup is sold, and then also to devise whether it's street teams or other sampling opportunities, 
you know, that's a real um, quantifiable um, measure for us and, and how many uh, consumers we got the product in the hands of. So a ways for us to do that. And with all of these elements, especially with um, with the L'Oreal example, we'll have offers uh, tied to the samples so we can track on the back end and actually bump things up against sale. So if you're working with L'Oreal, would your objective be to have an influence on the, for lack of a better term, the the sales uh, clerk that are in all the stores that are, you know, interacting with final consumers, or yeah, a, a, and and how do you capture? How do you measure? Are we having an impact uh, beyond just the impressions? And then, yeah. are you also looking at what that impact is for the final consumer? We are, we are. So, Both? what I mean by we have the opportunity to utilize the best practices of our peers in other disciplines. So we may create a pop-up experience for L'Oreal in a busy downtown place, uh, you know, let's just call it a, a temporary pop-up store. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a scenic uh, fabrication that we design on brand, so working with the brand guidelines. Uh, the sole mission is to promote, for example, a new product. So we have a product launch. So we know that we want to create buzz and amplification. So within the experience that we design, again, we'll have the consumers, we'll have influencers, we'll have media so that we know that we're creating buzz. We may have a celebrity overlay in the case of L'Oreal, knowing that that will create additional buzz. Uh, but really for us then is getting a certain number of samples out into the consumer's hands. So that's a quantifiable metric. And then with each of those samples, we would have an offer that will drive traffic back to store, uh, in this case, a coupon. Uh, so this is where we borrow, in this case, from, from direct marketing, from CRM. And, and with that coupon, then, we're able to understand on the back end how many units of the full-size makeup product, in this example, were sold. And if that individual was part of a loyalty program by either the account or with L'Oreal, then we're able to look more historically at their purchase history and, and be able to follow them uh, through the lifetime of, of their purchasing the product. So... so- I would guess that each one of these uh, events are unique. And as they're unique, I'm wondering how you, as well as your client, are able to learn from one event to the next. So Mm -hmm. we did this event, we get to see how well it worked, or in some cases, maybe not so much with you, but in some cases, they don't work as well. And therefore, we're doing some learning as we go through this process. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, but how, I'm trying to think about how you do that learning and then be able to extend it onto the next event that you're doing. So yeah, absolutely. help me understand that. Sure. And I think even though we are always doing something different, uh, which is, to me, the cool part of our discipline, uh, if it's been done before, then we need not bother because our mission typically is to create buzz and get people excited and do something that's going to stand out. That said... Whether it is a property premiere with the FX, whether it is a new product launch with L'Oreal, we do have a certain foundation. I think that's applicable to any of the tactics that we may do for any of our clients. So, for example, in the case of premieres, uh, we work with FX, we work with HBO, we work with Nickelodeon. So within the category of entertainment uh, from our client base, even though each of those brands has their own DNA, and within that DNA, each of the properties is very different, uh, whether it's a biography, whether it's a drama, whether it's a comedy, et cetera. So we drilled down into that level and 
applicable to any of these tactics, any of these options, I think we have a fundamental um, um, list of, of, of priorities that we go through. So, for example, uh, with any premier, uh, that is a public activation, like the Legion that we just uh, sure. hosted, the Legion activation, we know historically looking through uh, having done lots of premiers, regardless of who the client is, regardless of what the property is, uh, what means work most effectively for us to get the word out about a free open to the public activation. And not surprisingly, especially with uh, very oftentimes the demographic, at least that we're working with, it's with targeted, uh, geo-targeted Facebook ads uh, and the influencers. So we have a, a good history of, of which media outlets, in this case with, with paid media, uh, work best for these types of events um, with I think something that is uh, more of a of a of a IP luxury experience, and a lot of our clients do fall into to luxury and prestige. Uh, we are not looking as uh, much at doing these free, open to the public type of consumer activations, but rather much more exclusive, um, in keeping with the brand DNA of, of the luxury brands. And in this case, it really is much more about a uh, a truly focused. Um, invite list of, of influencers sure. of a certain type of media. Uh, and in that case, that's what's appropriate for that category of brands. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does make sense. I've got to ask you about one of your clients that you had that I think would be a little bit different than what we've talked about, and I'll be curious about your experience with them, which is that, uh, and that was Jay-Z. And I'm, I'm curious, what was it that you did? What was the experiential uh, aspects of that? And um, and in particular, you had talked about brand guidelines that you get. I'm, I'm curious how much you sort of have input as to what those brand guidelines would be, which also means you work with your clients to say, here's what the out, here, here's what we should be striving for as an outcome, and so. Can you can you answer that question in the context of what you did with with Jay Z? Did Jay Z have a marketing plan and guidelines, or did you help shape that with Jay Z and and his team? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So for Jay Z specifically, what it was uh, was launching his cognac Doucet. Ah. So Jay Z, yeah, uh, worked in collaboration um, with uh, Bacardi Prestige Group and worked very closely in the development of the brand of, of the liquid. And we worked uh, with Jay-Z and his team in the launch of Doucet. So, you know, taking taking the celebrity factor out of this at the end of the day, it was a classic product launch uh, in the spirits world. So we did have to approach things. Again, we just talked about best practices and how do we know what works and what doesn't work. Well, we've worked on other product launches and we've worked a lot in spirits. So we understand the category we understand how consumers react with sampling. We understand more on a grassroots level how to work with the accounts, those places where uh, the liquid is sold. So we could apply all that. But with Jay-Z, we really had an opportunity to take into consideration uh, this kind of unstoppable force of celebrity that is Jay-Z and think through what that looked like. So um, we planned the launch of Doucet uh, in tandem, not surprisingly, uh, with the opening of the Barclays Center uh, in Brooklyn, which is the arena uh, for sports and music, and Jay-Z right. had the first eight nights of the arena. It was an epic, sold-out, uh, night-after-night performance. So in order to leverage 
the influencer aspect and the celebrity aspect, one tactic that we implemented was designing and building a Duce riser on the floor of the arena at the Barclays Center. And this really was a who's who of people from entertainment and sports. Um, and just an opportunity for us to have a bar on this Duce riser. So again, taking all that celebrity out of the factor, this was a sampling program and an opportunity for us to gain that amplification by leveraging the individuals who in this case were sampling the product. I should have been there. So yeah. Yeah, I should have been there. And I, it, it, <laughs> if only. Yeah, it, it sounds absolutely fascinating. You you are a creative dude. I don't say that often to people. I don't I don't call people dudes very often. But you are a creative dude. And if anybody didn't right. didn't gather that correctly from this uh, interview, I suggest <laughs> they go to your website and, uh, and 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 navigate your way through that. It's uh, very very unique in what it is you're doing. I think it's fascinating. It's an aspect of marketing we often don't talk about, but it's an important one, and I think growing in importance every day. So. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us on the program and, and opening up uh, the the blinds for us to look in and see what it is that uh, you do. Uh, so thank you, Anthony. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, uh, thank you. We need to take a, a short break, but please do stay with us. When we get back, we're going to be speaking with the chief marketing officer of the Philadelphia 76ers, Katie O'Reilly. If you want to join the conversation when we return, you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or send us an email at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. This is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111.